I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC, as you are likely aware if you're listening to this episode since we're in the middle of the Netflix series <laughs> and well into our conversations about the Babysitter's Club, is a bi-weekly uh, podcast where we talk about the Babysitter's Club. As I noted, currently we are talking about the second season of the Netflix series. Um, but we basically just talk about the books, talk about the show, what we like, what we don't like, what we remember reading them as kids, how now with the Netflix series, how it compares to what the books were about and what maybe has been updated in a good way or could have been done better. And our recollections, you know, looking back as elder millennials, geriatric millennials, (laughs) to, you know, when we were joining Generation BSC back as children and then, you know, what it might be like for kids today that are joining Generation BSC as newcomers. I am so excited to jump back into this. We took a little bit of a a holiday break. Mm -hmm. So it's been a hot second since we've talked about the Babysitter's Club. And I realized just how much of a hole that left in my life. I was like, wow, I haven't been thinking about the girls quite as much. Yeah, very strange. So it's been it's been really fun to to jump back into it, um, especially jumping back into it with Dawn's wicked stepsister. I, I think that's an interesting. Just just so happened that that's how that fell, you know, with with the holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially because that was such a we had strong feelings about that book. I in particular had some real strong feelings oh, yeah. about Dawn in that book, and I would say that this episode, Dawn is still definitely like the jackass and the one that needs to learn. The lesson, um, although Marianne certainly has her moments, it, the emphasis clearly, or the show seems to understand that that Dawn is the one really making the situation what it is. But it's not. I don't feel nearly as vehement about it, possibly because she didn't attempt to gaslight her and like right. psychologically torture her. It was more just you know repressed. I I'm fine when I'm not fine, which is passive aggressive and really shitty and obnoxious in its own way, but not not quite we need to call the police because this person is an actual criminal. Right. You're trying to make your new stepsister feel like she's losing her mind. That's a problem. (laughs) Thankfully, she doesn't do that in this one. Although I will say, just calling back to our conversation about Dawn's Wicked Stepsister, the book, I think we, at least I, one of the things I remember talking about was the fact that Part of the reason why Dawn seems so bad, and obviously the gaslighting aside, because that part is just terrible, either whoever you're talking about, whoever the narrator is, but part of the issue is we're seeing all of Dawn's thoughts in the book, mm-hmm. and we weren't seeing all of Marianne's thoughts. And like in all likelihood, there was probably some mean thoughts from Marianne. And so, yes, I th- exactly. and I think part of the way that the book does it, or the show does it better than the book did, is it's not quite as heavy on the narration because obviously there is still that voiceover, but it's not being narrated by Dawn the whole way through. So we're not getting all of her thoughts. So we don't, we don't see her in such a bad light. Yes, she is still not great in the, the show either, but I think that it helps that we're not seeing every single individual petty thought or mean thought that she has about Marianne because we're seeing her inner monologue. So I think that that at least helps. <laughs> That, yeah, I think you're right. I think that makes total sense because we do get her monologue, but not as much like you said. And at the same time, I think what you pointed out that we really can't get from a book at all that we do get from the show is getting Marianne's perspective. Mm -hmm. Because from the book, we're only hearing it through Dawn's filter. Exactly. When in the show, we actually get to see, you know, Marianne's face and Marianne react to, to things. And like, we can tell that there are times, I think, specifically in the kitchen, where they are cooking, we should probably do a synopsis yeah. in a second here. But um, what, go go figure. Us getting carried away again. Um, but it, there's a scene specifically in the kitchen where she, uh, Marianne's cooking with Sharon, and there's a lot going on there that we'll we'll circle back to. But the point that I was wanted to make is that from my perspective, as I was watching it, I think that Marianne genuinely did not realize how upset Dawn was in that moment. Like from seeing her. Um, I, I think she knew she was kind of upset, but like Marianne, seeing Marianne, her non-reaction, I guess, to Dawn's upset made it feel more um, obtuse but innocent. You know what I mean? Where she wasn't like consciously ignoring that Dawn was annoyed with her. Whereas in the book, it can sometimes feel like that because it was only Dawn's perspective and you're not seeing Marianne's like legitimate like confusion over what's going on. If but that could just be 
I was primed to not like Dawn in this mm-hmm. scenario. So yeah, I was. I, I don't know. Uh, well, I'll just say it now. I really, really didn't like Marianne and Sharon in that scene because they were both piling on Dawn together, like making fun of the fact that she says everything's all good all the time. And like, if it, you know, if Dawn says everything's all good, it means she wants to go jump off a cliff. And like, if they know that, they shouldn't be treating her like shit because she is upset that the kitchen's now a disaster area. You know, like, I, I like I get it. It's okay. I think I think it's kind of okay for Marianne, although she does understand how Dawn is. So it it's just frustrating that because I as a person am very much like Dawn at times and that I just let everything sort of roll off my back and people don't know that I'm upset until I'm like upset. And I understand that that is a problem and I am working on that. But like in that moment, like to me, I was it was very clear to me how upset Dawn was and like they know, they both know how much she likes the house to be clean and organized. And like Sharon obviously is just a lost cause, but like it it felt unfair that Marianne was just so caught up in the moment of like, I'm having a great time with a mother figure. I'm just going to completely like shit on my best friend who I know is upset. Like, that's fair. I think I, because w- I was very upset with Sharon at that point. Yes. I was, I was, I was literally just making the point about Marianne um, missing the bigger picture or missing how upset Dawn was. I think she took, I read it as she was taking Sharon's, oh, this is lighthearted cues. Yeah, and so that's fair. That allowed her to go, oh, well, Dawn's not really upset. If, if she was really upset, Sharon would, you know, do something. Right. Whereas my perspective was Sharon is a fucking asshole and should never have been joking about that with Mary Ann. That because I, I laid much more of the blame right or wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> which again probably says more to do with my issues with Sharon, that character, you know, show versus book. Although show is better, still not great. Yeah. I, I fully agree with you in terms of that scene is awful for Dawn, so not fair for Dawn. But I lay the the blame squarely on Sharon's feet for that. Yeah. Especially because Marianne may know, but she's never, like, cooked in her kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like she's taking some of her cues from from Sharon in that right. moment, if that's that makes fair. sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think Richard, that's one of the things that I loved the most about this episode is Richard. He mm-hmm. just continues to be – I mean, obviously, when they when – they, Got Mark Evan Jackson for that role. We knew uh, from the jump that that was going to be amazing and we we're going to be, ga- be able to get to do a little bit more with him. But, uh, you know, he, especially in that scene, that was the moment when I was like, oh, we're really going to have a Richard shiny episode mm-hmm. because he was the only person in that moment who really saw that Dawn was the one that was struggling. Yeah. Um, and, and that really just... That warmed my heart. Yeah. And his attempt to like, oh, I got these great, you know, adult coloring books. You exactly. wanna you wanna come do this with me? Obviously, Richard and Dawn don't have the same connection that at least not yet, that uh Dawn and Sharon do, but it's or that Marianne and Sharon do. And so it it was nice that he like extended that not olive branch, but like he was trying to give her you know, something sort of reciprocal. And obviously it, it's not working the same way, but, you know, by the end of the episode, they definitely have more of a connection. And it's, it, it is really sweet that he, he sees, he sees Dawn. And I think he sees yes. some of himself in Dawn in a way that he doesn't necessarily always see all of himself in all of Marianne, if that makes sense. And I think that that makes perfect sense. And I, one of the things that I love the most about it is that I think you're exactly right that he sees parts of himself in Dawn that I think Dawn doesn't necessarily recognize in mm-hmm. herself because living with a parent like Sharon and having to be the parent a lot of the time right. in a lot of the ways, it's it feels like there's not a lot of people taking care of Dawn and recognizing what Dawn needs and being worried about Dawn first and foremost. Right. And to see really Richard step up and take that role and really, really try in his own awkward way to come to her at his, at her level. Mm-hmm. Like, I uh, obviously, um, like, if you could see on the, the cover of the coloring book, it said mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's Dawn to a T. And like, I really liked that they gave them that moment at the end where Dawn could realize, too, that she was so caught up in being resentful of Marianne that she, especially Marianne's relationship with Sharon, that she was neglecting the fact that she could be having that with Richard mm-hmm. and that she was being unfair to him also by not allowing 
by not seeing him. Right. And I think that that was what the beauty of that Danny Tanner moment at the end was not so much the just the, you know, um, anxiety and mental health message, but the fact that it was really more about I see you and I want to take care of you in a way that is maybe not ever happened for you mm-hmm. before and giving Dawn the opportunity to recognize that. For which sure. Is is really I thought that was really, really lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I really hope and I I don't know if in the next last couple episodes of this season this will happen. Probably not since we just got our Dawn episode, but I would really love in a third season or fourth season, assuming that we're lucky enough to get additional seasons, I would really love for them to do the, you know, some, whether it's a only Dawn goes to California or it's the California adventure, um, super special where all of the girls go to California. Like I would really love to get that time of to mm-hmm. see Dawn in her, you know, original habitat with her dad and see how that relationship is. Cause I think, I, I mean, I, I would just be really interested to see because I think that obviously, obviously he and Sharon are no longer together in large part because he's gay. But presumably there was some sort of conflict in maybe parenting styles, lifestyle, not lifestyle in the mean of like how organized is your house lifestyle. So like I would just be really interested to see how they take that on the show. You know what what Mr. Schaefer is like in the show versus Mr. Schaefer in the books. Especially in a more modern context as well, because they very much portray him as like the 80s version of the, you know, Disney dad. We even they even Mm -hmm. talk about that specifically. They have the housekeeper slash nanny type deal that he's just portrayed as kind of like nice enough and loves Don and Jeff, but like just sort of clueless in terms of parenting, you know, which compounds the whole poor Don you know, parenting everybody situation. Right. But I, I'm curious how that would manifest in this version of the show as well. I, I think you're right. I think that'd be really, really fascinating. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll be lucky enough to get some of those episodes in the future because that would be fun. Since we're like 13 minutes into talking, should we maybe do the summary? I was just going to say, yeah, we... Um, <laughs> We we kind of hit some of the big themes that we're going to be talking about. So let's figure out what what happens to get us to those themes because <laughs> <laughs> we're just kind of all over the place. You know, it it's our first one back. We're a little off the rails. Hopefully everyone's excited. following, but we're having a good time and hopefully you are too. But <laughs> here is the quick summary that I put together, which as I noted in the last episode, I will just be reading what I wrote because <laughs> I don't want this to go even further off the rails. So (laughs) here we go. Don is excitedly awaiting Marion and Richard moving in for the week, and they show up, including three suitcases for Richard, which include several pewter chest sets and hypoallergenic sheets. The girls discover a secret passage in Don's closet when Marion moves Don's clothes to hang hers up. Sharon already knows about the secret passage, which was built for prohibition gin-making purposes rather than the Underground Railroad. The living together situation goes just about as terribly as in the book for th- for this episode. And while there's no gaslighting, Marianne and Don do have a big blow up after they find themselves locked in the secret passage when Don hits the breaking point on quote unquote, it's all good and can't handle Marianne in her space and getting close with her mom. Don and Richard have a nice Danny Tanner moment where he shares that coloring slash activity books help with his anxiety and expressing how he's feeling. The B-plot involves the Babysitter's Club throwing a birthday party for Claire after her party has to be canceled as a result of Byron needing stitches during a babysitting accident. The long and short of it is that Mallory ends up feeling like the party is charity for her and her family and doesn't like it. And as part of the party, Christy dresses up as a clown and ends up scaring Marianne and Dawn after they get trapped in the secret passage. Honestly, the whole clown stuff, I at first I was like, what is this? But the payoff of Christy coming down that corridor in that that ridiculous get up that worked for me i mean it was was perfect it was yeah (laughs) it was so silly but it totally it totally worked it like does it make sense that marianne would not find that clown creepy not at all like why would she bring that like none of it it was right marianne brings what is arguably one of the creepiest clown dolls you can imagine to her weekend or week-long stay at don and sharon's house and it's not like it's a cuddling to sleep kind of stuffed animal situation it's like a porcelain doll that she just sets on the bookshelf basically staring dawn in the face on the same level as her eyeline when she's laying in bed and like 
it's Mr. Clowny. Like, why the fuck is he here, Marianne? You do not need this clown for a week. He could stay at your house while the termites are getting killed. Like, why is he here? Why do you have him in the first place? And why is he so important that you need him at Don's house, even when Don is clearly terrified of this thing? Right? And, like, any sane and rational person would take one look at that doll and be like, that is fucked up. Like, yeah, it may come from your your dead mother, and that may be a wonderful, like, reminder, but that's still really creepy. Yeah. We're living in a post-multiple iterations of it society. Right. Like, nobody is unaware. We are living in a post-2016 clown murder spree Right. <laughs> a a post-John Wayne Gacy situation. Like, clowns exactly. are terrifying. There is. It's not crazy to be afraid of clowns. And not even afraid, but just, like, they're just off-putting. Off-put. Yes, exactly. Yes. Like, I, I don't hate clowns. I'm not afraid of clowns. But I don't want to, like, have one staring at me while I sleep. Jeez. Just uh, super uncomfortable. Yeah. So that whole thing was just ridiculous. But but seriously, when Christy popped out, <laughs> first of all, the like the the wig with the bald cap and the like tufts of hair on the side was just too perfect. And when she's waddling down <laughs> that passageway with the squeaky shoes, oh, I was like, okay, I forgive every labored bit of business right. that took that took getting us. It was here. worth it. All of it was worth it. It was perfect. It was just what we needed to end the episode. Oh, loved it so much. Um, well, before we go back to the Mallory and clowns and that whole Claire situation, because there's not a ton to say no. about that other than I mean it's it's foreshadowing some of the the Pike family financial issues that we know are coming in the books, but haven't gotten to yet from our book reading. Other than there's a level of, we've talked about this many times before, but the level of awareness that these children have of the adult issues, like, is, you know, like, that they know how much it costs for Byron Stitches, and that means that they can't afford the fancy party for Cla- like that just seems like a level of things that these children would not be aware of right on an, an adult level well and also not that i throw large extravagant birthday parties for children or any large extravagant parties of any kind but like if you're throwing a six thousand dollar birthday party for one of your seven children i feel like you probably should have enough money that you can afford to pay a hospital bill and like i I mean, may, and maybe the maybe that's a part of what it, what the Pike situation is, but like maybe they're just not good with how they spend their money. But like that feels like an interesting choice. And maybe I'm speaking from a very you know specific situation and you know privileged upbringing that I had. Although I never had lavish parties of any kind, let alone ones that even approached six thousand dollars. But it just seems interesting that 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 it's like oh well, Byron had this emergency hospital trip, so now we can't have this party or. And maybe it's just budgeting. I don't know. It just it just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> so I just read it as – I didn't actually think that they were going to spend all $6,000 on that party. I read it more as they were going to have a party for her, and now that they have the $6,000 bill, they don't have any money left in the budget That's to fair. give any kind of party. That's sort of how I read it. But – because either way, I, I kind of like – but I really kind of like your reading that they're just sort of – because that – it sort of tracks with what we know of the Pikes. Like, are they just not very responsible and not really like understanding, but either way, it just implied a level of awareness of their adult finances that rubbed me a little Uh, incorrect. Disregarding the the party thing. Like how, why would Mallory even know that the hospital bill was $6,000? Cause it was a thousand dollar per stitch and he got six stitches. Like, why obviously it wasn't a thousand dollars per stitch but like that's in her 11 year old brain that's how she equated it but like why would she even know how much it costs to go to the hospital to get his stitches after he hurt his head like yeah as an 11 year old you don't need to know that i mean i can see her having a vague awareness that hey we're having money issues like that makes sense but knowing the specifics is just wild right it doesn't make sense and the whole well i did like the payoff of the the charity comment when you know Stacy says we can put our monthly charity dues toward the party instead, and then at the part at the party when um, Mallory says or when Mallory sort of calls them out and is like I'm, I don't want to be a charity case, mm-hmm. and Stacy's like. Well, it wasn't it charity when I asked you guys to be part of the fashion show, and Mallory's like, "That is literal charity." Yes, it was charity. 
<laughs> quite the definition of literal charity. That really made me laugh a lot. I, Mallory uh, was definitely growing on me in this one because I thought she handled that pretty well where like it was clear she was uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I I actually really sort of appreciated the situation that she was in where, like, you feel awkward about it, but you know they're not doing it, like, they're coming from a good place, right. but it still feels, I don't know, I, I'm not great at asking for help, so... I, I I felt Mallory in that moment a lot. Yeah. I and I almost feel like like I almost wish that it hadn't even been Stacy saying like, oh, we'll take our charity donation and use it towards this. Because I think that it would have it, it makes Mallory seem like that's the only reason why she's having these uncomfortable feelings about it because she's reading it as it's our charity money, so I'm charity. I feel like it would have been a much more interesting situation if it was just the babysitters club coming together like okay we're all going to you know use our dues for the month or we're going to each put in $5 or something and you know we're going to throw this party for Claire cuz we want this we want this girl to have a great birthday party even though her parents aren't going to throw her the party anymore or whatever like cuz i feel like regardless of the charity comment from Stacy Mallory still would have felt the same way because she feels oh, yeah. like you know so i i almost feel like without that piece of it it would have been a much more I don't I'm not even sure but like I feel like for kids watching this if you discount if you have that charity comment it sort of discounts that everyone might feel this way if their friends were stepping yep. up and throwing a party for their sister and you know the way that Stacy sort of explains it with what you said but you know they sort of point out that just because we said we were taking the charity money doesn't mean it's charity you know like it it sort of undercuts the issue and i i wish that yeah. they hadn't done that because i think it was it would have been a much more strong message for you know kids that are watching this to say you know and even the ultimate thing that they say you know it's not charity this is just friendship you know it's we're sh- going to show up for you the way that you would show up for us and i i feel like you could have had that same message without the confusion over we're taking our charity money and using it for this instead of charity yeah, I think you're exactly right. I if if correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like as you were talking, it made me think that it, it would have been deeper somehow if, if the focus had been on Mallory learning how to accept help yeah. and have that not feel shameful or bad as opposed to getting caught up in whether or not the help was deemed charity. Right. Because it doesn't have to be deemed charity in order for it to not feel great. If somebody is helping you sometimes, you right, know, like exactly. it, it, it can feel vulnerable to accept help and admit that you need help. And I, I think you're exactly right that that would have been a deeper message mm-hmm. and the charity thing sort of gave an out almost right. like a like, so, oh, kind of you, a you were just confused. It's not charity. And, and she's like, oh, OK, yeah, it's just it makes it too easy, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And then again, we get to remember, you know, level of, <laughs> of where they're aiming at. Because I think going back to the, like, the bigger themes of the episode, I love how I said, we don't really need to talk about that. That's more. And then we got then immediately, of course, of course. dove into it. But along those same lines, like going back to the, the bigger theme, we really, I, I was trying to figure out as we were going along, you know, what the Danny Tanner moment was going to be around. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being around, like we said, the um, the coloring books and about anxiety and mental health and what you do to, to self-care and how important it is to, you know, share what you're really feeling mm-hmm. and process those things and blah, blah, blah. And th- that is a fantastic message. And it there's definitely a lot in the episode that supports that. That being said, I think the reason I liked but didn't love this episode is that leading up to that, I was... I couldn't have guessed where the Danny Tanner mm-hmm. moment was going to come. Like we had a little bit of the one with the Marianne and um, Dawn conversation when they're trapped and they, mm-hmm. you know, when Dawn finally snaps and says how I'm really feeling and Marianne, you know, apologizes for her part in it for being obtuse or whatever. And I, I think it now that I'm like talking it out um, because again, minor behind the curtains peak, we. We try not to talk about the episode too much before we start recording, but every you know we just sort of give a. Uh, f- I like to give Kate a fair warning if it's going to be an episode that I really <laughs> have a uh, have a strong emotional response to, and and mine 
my overall feelings for this one could best be summed up as meh. Like, it was good. It was mm-hmm. entertaining. But it just didn't resonate or connect with me in, in the way that some of the other ones really have. And I think it's because the message was so was sort of diluted across all three of those things, even the, the Mallory stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are really good themes that are interconnected. But I don't think that there was enough of a through line made between those three, uh, you know, uh, Danny Tanner moments that connected them in a, in a strong enough package i don't know if that, if that makes sense at all but yeah it it definitely it felt like all of them were just very quiet moments like you know in past episodes it's been very sort of everything's reaching that moment and then you get this big thing and it's not quite obviously we've talked about this but it's not quite to the level of like full house where it's like okay now we're going to talk about this thing and clearly this is what you're supposed to take away but like obviously we and probably most of the viewers probably even the kids that are watching this can sort of identify that danny tanner moment even if you don't call it a danny tanner moment but in this episode it just felt very like offhand or like brushed aside when they say it i mean it's still there but it's not quite as clear and like you said, they don't really tie together in the way that would help make that a little bit of a stronger statement. Yeah, I think it's that exactly that, that it's not that it's um, uh, it's not that they're not important. It's that they're not sort of taken as seriously mm-hmm. in this one for whatever reason, um, whereas some of the other messages have been a lot more. Yeah, I, I mean, we use Danny Tanner moment as, as somewhat ironically in right. that, you know, it's not nearly that cheesy and uh, unsubtle, for <laughs> right. lack of a better word. And we, we, while I really appreciate the subtleness, I think, I think this episode may have gone a little too far right. in that subtle direction where I wanted a little bit more of an oomph around tying this all together that, that. Don and Marianne have a lot more in common than they think in terms of their anxiety. It's just manifested differently mm-hmm. and they have different coping mechanisms. And Don and Mallory have a lot more in common in terms of, you know, not wanting to admit vulnerability and ask for help. And it can be scary to tell someone, especially the people that you love, that you are not okay because you have this idea that you need to take care of them in some way. Mm-hmm. Ooh. We're circling back around to uh, uh, all the Encanto discourse that I've been, like, knee-deep in for the last week and a half. Um, like, what your role is within your family unit. And I think in, in this show, we've got, like, the, the club as its own family unit, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, the family unit that they're trying to build of, of Richard, Sharon, Dawn, and and Marianne. And, and really looking at, you know, like, where do you fit? What's your role? What's your contribution? What does that mean? you know uh, what's your value in the in the family that type of thing and so there's so much there that i just think didn't quite stick the landing yeah that i think that's the best way i could can really say it because i did enjoy it Mm -hmm. and like we said there's a lot of there's a lot of meat there i just wish they would have maybe dug in a little bit more to it i think offhand is a good word like i think that's one that you use to Mm -hmm. describe it it just felt a little casual yeah Honestly, with it being so casual, I don't really have any other big thoughts. Like, there was really wasn't as much else to really dig into. I, I did mention how much Sharon annoyed me. Go figure. <laughs> I thought she was doing mostly okay until that scene. Yeah. And then I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. That is your kid. Right. Like, you are aware. You are the adult in this situation. You are aware that... Even more than the girls are, you should be aware that this is a trial run for what this family would look like and feel like if you guys do decide to move forward. Mm-hmm. And that is – I thought that was a good, mature, responsible thing to do. I was like, you know what? I really like this. This feels much, you know, more in line with a modern sensibility of how we think about blending families than, you know, in the books in the 80s when it was like, oh, I reconnected with my high school <laughs> right. sweetheart now six we're months married. later. <laughs> now you're moving in together. <laughs> And, like, Jeff was just supposed to, like, accept it and, and, you know, no wonder he had a little meltdown because, yeah, like, there was no consideration of the kids in that situation. And I refuse to believe, especially with what we've seen of Richard, that Mm – because they don't even mention why – like, yeah, they mention the fumigation, but they don't really get into it. There's a million other places they could go. You know that this was about, hey, this is a good opportunity for us to gauge. Mm -hmm. 
or it should have been, in which case Sharon should have been going out of her way to both make Marianne feel welcome and make Dawn feel valued. Right. That is blended family 101. I I am don't have kids or stepkids or have any intention of of either at this point in my life. And I know that. Right. So like uh, that that's just so frustrating that she is just I mean, I guess it's true to life in that there are people that are very much like that, that just are in their own little world. But it was so shitty. She was so shitty to Dawn. She was literally mocking her. Like, yeah. that, and like you said, that's your kid. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just, and like, I again, in, in and maybe it's, this is part of giving Marianne more benefit of the doubt, but in the next scene when they're like talking about the fallout of it, um, when Dawn was getting really passive aggressive about cleaning the kitchen, Marianne genuinely seemed to think that she did a good job cleaning the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, and that I'm, I'm again like, okay, is this, I couldn't tell there if that was Marianne not actually doing a good job or Dawn just looking for things to be upset about. Right. But like Sharon has a better grasp on what Dawn's cleaning standards are. So even if they're not hers, she would be aware that, hey, this is going to piss Dawn off. Like, maybe we should put a little bit of effort into cleaning it up or uh, – Although she Richard, doesn't you – know, but she doesn't put any effort into it when it's just her and Dawn either. You're right. You know, like right. the beginning of this episode starts with Dawn getting her room perfectly in order, which doesn't take very long because she likes to have her room and space in order. But then she has to clean the entire rest of the house and, like, her, Sharon's bra is in – the foyer like what the fuck and then as as dawn has finally finished this and sharon or and richard and marianne are about to show up sharon just sets her coffee cup down on like the bookshelf in the foyer like what like have some awareness lady like come on you like i think that's the thing that's frustrating and like i mean i guess at least she's not doing anything different than she does when Dawn's around. So that's just like a larger issue with Sharon and how she doesn't really care about what Dawn cares about and doesn't make any sort of effort to try to keep in line with what Dawn prefers. It's just, it's just frustrating. And I mean, on some level, I get it. Like people have different levels of like acceptable clutter in their home and what they're comfortable with. And like, there needs to be some kind of, compromise but not when you are parenting and your child is forced to clean up after you like that there's a difference between hey i like some you know i don't need everything organized perfectly and put in its you know individualized cubby or whatever because i'm i'm of the maximalist clutter Mm -hmm. (laughs) persuasion myself and there's a level of cleanliness and and Respect. I think. I think it's respect mm-hmm. that I'm really keep coming back to. That it's clear that she has no respect for her daughter, especially because, as Richard so aptly recognizes, a lot of Dawn's need for neatness and and order is about control, right. and it's a mental health issue. It's not like, you know, oh, like I'm just fussy right. the way that Richard is sometimes portrayed as fussy. He recognizes that. His fussiness comes from somewhere, and so it comes somewhere for Dawn, too. And that just – again, it goes back to just look at your kid. Know your kid. Right. Because if it were just an issue of we have incompatible levels of, you know, clutter tolerance, there are ways to manage that. But if it's clearly something that gives your kid stress and anxiety and is is creating mental trauma for them – like. Put in some fucking effort, lady. Right. At least try. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. She just she just infuriates me. It, it's and it's that's sad because I like speaking of their their house and and my sensibilities. I was like, yep, totally dig this decor, love it. This is very much how I would want to live. Richard would hate it. I can't wait to see how they try to blend their um, decor styles at some point. But it sucks that she sucks. Yeah. <laughs> It does. <laughs> There's really not much else to say about it. She's just not great. Yeah. Speaking of not great, I mean, I, I've mentioned a couple of times that I don't think Marianne was as bad in this. But she was not, uh, like, 
I don't know. It, she took Dawn at her word. And and you're right. She knows Dawn better than that. I, I think she didn't want to know that things were as bad as they were. Right. And I think to her credit in that conversation, she did just sort of assume – she's never had siblings before. Mm-hmm. So she just sort of assumed, oh, you know, siblings fight. We that That's what you hear in all media. Like, they've been around the pikes. And, and those boys straight up torture each other. Right. So, like, I can understand from her perspective that – yeah, it was a little tense, but it, there was no like specific thing. But and then it and then so I was I was mostly on her side until the going down and shining a flashlight in her face on the couch. I was like, okay, I can see you going down and checking to see where she was. But the minute you saw she was curled up on the couch, I would have been like, oh, fuck, I I screwed up. Right, she clearly can't sleep. Like. Not only would I just go back upstairs and go to sleep, I would figure out what I was doing that necessitated her to have to go sleep on the couch. And that's where I, for me, Marianne crossed over from maybe a little bit obtuse, but mostly innocent to, okay, like, you need to own up to some of your actions here, too. I mean, I do think at a certain point, though, I I think she was maybe being a little bit willfully obtuse because I think she really was enjoying – Having a mother figure in her life, you know, on a day-to-day basis for the first time Mm -hmm. ever that she can remember. And I think she was – I think she was more focused on that than on the sibling piece. And so – I th- I think it's like a combination of that. Like like you said, you know, she sort of thought, well, siblings always fight and we'll just figure it out. And um, not really thinking about how her actions were really impacting Dawn because she was more focused on – this is great. I'm, you know, getting to have a sleepover with my best friend every night and I get to like bake with with Sharon who's treating me like, you know, another daughter and I'm really loving this and I mean, yeah, the the <laughs> the flashlight thing. I I can't find it in my notes right now, but I basically was like, why is she doing this? Like, what are you yes. what are you doing? Like, get the flashlight out of Dawn's face. Like, clearly she's you trying smarter to sleep. Than this. Right. So, it 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 went back and forth. But I think that my main takeaway was that she was being dumb on purpose or inadvertently being dumb because she was too focused on what she was enjoying about this experience as opposed to seeing what Dawn was not enjoying about the experience. I think that's really astute. I I think you're exactly right that she wanted to take it at face value. She wanted Dawn's all good to mean all good. So she let it. Right. And, um, and that I, I, I've, We've all been there before. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, selfish but human. Right. And, and not, like, horrible monster selfish. Just human. Especially because, like you talked about, we I haven't really – didn't really touch on that at all. But in their big heart-to-heart, while Dawn's more focused on the ways that Marianne's obnoxious in the bedroom – that's a sentence that came out a little <laughs> bit incorrectly – um, all the way that Marianne's habits make Dawn's way of life more, uh, 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 you know, frustrate the way that Dawn normally goes about right. things. Now I'm just digging myself into a deeper hole. You all get what I mean. Um, but the deeper issue for Marianne really is around Sharon and having, feeling like she has a mom or a mother figure and never having that before. And I think that's a really beautiful thing that they brought into this mm-hmm. that is not not present in the book, really, at all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, come to think of it, I don't know that they ever really talk about, you know, Sharon and Mary Ann's relationship in the book. Really ever. Do you? I can't think of anything that. Yeah, because there was the only thing that really sort of stood out was the like the gifts and stuff from I think it was from Dawn's Wicked Stepsister when, you know, Mary Ann's trying to find the perfect gift for Sharon and Dawn keeps like shutting down everything that she comes up with because, you know, she essentially it boils down to Don not wanting Marianne to basically take over her position as Sharon's daughter, which as a 13-year-old, I'd probably be concerned about as well. But right. but there was no real talk or discussion of like how Marianne and Sharon connect with each other in the books. It was more sort of yeah. surface level trying to, you know, get, by giving a gift, you're connecting, but not really – it doesn't go any deeper than that in the books, I don't think. Yeah. At least nothing that we've read to date. Speaking of that, I guess this is more of a random observation, but we're kind of heading that direction anyway um, as we wrap up the what little big picture stuff there is. So I know that Dawn was definitely more neat 
is more neat than Sharon of the Books. We, we've talked about that ad nauseum. But I would never have categorized her as like a super neat freak or like almost uh, – She's. I mean, especially with the talk around mental health, they don't ever say it, which is good because that's ugh, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people – Say, oh, I'm so OCD or I'm a little OCD mm-hmm. when they just mean they're hyper-organized. But it is that that neatness and cleanliness can be, you know, part of an anxiety right. function. The point being, it, it seemed a lot stronger in the show than I recall it ever being in the book. And I just wanted to see if maybe that was just my interpretation or if, if that was your experience as well. No, I definitely recall, you know, over the course of the books, Dawn is definitely – she likes things in order, but it never sort of seems, at least in the book from what we're getting described to us, to raise to the level of this where she's sort of, again, obsessively cleaning, not OCD necessarily, but very hyper-focused on making sure everything is exactly where it needs to be. Everything is clean. Everything is orderly. Um, the books definitely don't focus as much on that. It's more, you know, she has to pick up after her mom, but it's not that she's doing a deep clean of the entire house and, you know, saying she's going to clean the kitchen again because, you know, her mom and Marianne didn't do a good enough job. Right. Or like they describe her as a closet neat freak. And then Marianne's like, no, it's not so closet. Like it's, you know, right. That's really obvious. And I, I, I don't know that any of the books would ever describe her as a neat freak. It, to me, I always read it more, like you said, like, um, more like rolling her eyes because she found a, a shoe in the refrigerator right. versus like, oh, I have to deep clean because there was a speck of flour, you know, exactly elsewhere. Also, completely random side note, but isn't Marianne known for baking? Like, why would she forget flour in a cake? Like she like that's I can see them forgetting to put like salt or something, you know, like some like. Yeah, flour is kind know. of a, an important part of a cake. <laughs> It's usually yeah. the the largest percentage of uh, ingredients, I guess. Yeah, like what 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 did they make? If like if there was no flour, that's not. I don't. Anyway, that just seems like a little bit of an exaggeration. Like, yeah. Okay. I, you, there's plenty of reasons that you have to start over because you're like, ooh, whoops, or like, ooh, we put in, you know, uh, two cups of salt instead of two cups of sugars. You know, whatever. Some that that can easily be scatterbrained Sharon, but I forgot the flower for Marianne just seemed not quite in, it, it just seemed out of character for yeah. her in that moment. Agreed. The whole like secret passage thing was just sort of anticlimactic, although I did appreciate that they just, that they called it prohibition and didn't even bother to try to get into the Underground Railroad thing because as as we have demonstrated from the books, that was just sort of mentioned in passing mm-hmm. and that feels like a very weird especially with as conscious as the show has been to bring in social issues it just feels like a very weird door to open yeah right then so i i appreciated that um change i think it would have been interesting but not in this episode there's just not space for it right like i feel like if they're going to do that it would have been needed to be its own story right definitely yeah they definitely that's not a, a topic or a, a one-off phrase that you can just sort of drop into an episode where it's not the main <laughs> focus of the episode. Well, especially with Marianne being biracial. Like, there would have been a lot more, like, interrogation of, right. oh, well, who are the people who lived here? Like, what was going – like, I can see – I think it would be really interesting if maybe they revisited that in an episode at a later season. Like, come back and say, oh, it was used for prohibition, but it turns out it was actually built in the 1800s. They – like because a lot of that that's actually true to life a lot of the prohibition hidden places were repurposed mm-hmm. underground railroad stops so that w- that could be a really good pop- plot line later where they maybe look at what's the history of the underground railroad through stony brook how does that affect blah 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 right but yeah there was no way to really do that in this episode that was already so scattered yeah definitely i don't really have any other like major or even really minor observations. Um, there was, I, I did like that they did the um, sister act handshake again. Love mm-hmm. that. That's, that's such a fun little call out. And I do, I do love that Richard uses coloring books because I love my coloring mm-hmm. books. I also really loved that Marianne set up uh, her makeshift intruder alarm after you know, yes. she's freaking out about people, maybe intruders coming through the secret passage. So she sets up her tin can um, 
intruder alert, burglar alarm situation, which I thought was a nice callback to Claudia and the phantom phone calls. Although she put it like next to the bed. So for people who have not watched the episode, you know, immediately before listening to this or haven't watched it yet, there's Dawn's bed. There's a space where Marianne's sleeping on the floor. And then there's the closet with the secret passage. And Marianne sets up the cans basically between her and Dawn. So Dawn gets out of bed and trips over them, which means that an intruder would get her <laughs> before the cans would fall. <laughs> Although it looks like there might be like a rope that goes around Marianne from the cans to the the trap or the secret passage door. I don't really know, you know, the the mechanics of what that burglar alarm would do, but I really find it unlikely that it would have gone off <laughs> had someone come through that secret passage to try to get into the house. Yeah, there was um design flaws yes. with that particular that, that was not entirely thought through which you know stands to reason for a 13 year old but i while that makes a lot of sense for 13 year olds in the 80s we have a lot more technology now right <laughs> that that would have very easy access to they're they're a lot more savvy but i, I did i did love that little callback moment i thought that was really yeah, fun it was nice um also love that <laughs> vanessa Ma- mallory's sister is a little baby goth uh she is reading yes. nietzsche for dummies and then at the the carnival uh birthday party uh claudia is doing face paint and does full goth on vanessa with black lipstick and vanessa asks for a teardrop and it's just fantastic i, I love the direction and mallory even says well you know Vanessa makes some quote, or what is it, from from the book. She says, you know, you can't control chaos. Chaos controls you. And Mallory says to Jesse, who they're babysitting together, she says, you know, at least she's not rhyming anymore. So they've clearly dropped the, the you know, Vanessa wants to be a poet. Now she's, you know, an existentialist philosopher or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that. I said, oh, look at that. Is it that actual, like, character growth and development for the Pike kids? Because growing past the rhyming thing is something that was never allowed to happen in the books. Right. So that's, I'm very excited for them. Nice change. All I could think was uh, there's a trend going around TikTok with the, using the song where um, teenagers scare the living shit out of me. Like when Gen Z is just being badass and just like, doesn't give a fuck. That's all I could think with Vanessa and her mm-hmm. little, like, can I have a tear? I was like, Ooh man, you're going to be, you're going to be taking the world by storm. And I freaking love it. These kids today are amazing, um, as this show is a perfect reminder for. Mm-hmm. Did you have any timeline wonkiness you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, the only real timeline thing, it's not so much wonky as just really looking at, uh, you know, the difference between where we are in the books and where we are in the show. And we kind of talked about that, right? You know, that this is in the books that they were married at this point. They got married in Dawn, Marianne's Great Romance, and then this was the big move in and that has been off the table so we're still sort of in the same timeline as as character development Mm -hmm. for the girls but richard and sharon are not married yet which like i mentioned i think is a a good more realistic uh version of that and from a television standpoint is likely being held off so that we can have another wedding you know at, at some point tv shows love their season finale weddings or season premiere weddings or you know yeah Big, or big event. season finale babies, which might happen this year. Who knows? Might, we haven't yeah. watched it yet. <laughs> yeah, we're getting close. So it could be could be any number of things. We could still get an engagement. That could be a you know a big a big moment at the end there. But yeah, I, I the only real it's not wonky. It's in fact from my perspective, it's a timeline straightening <laughs> in that <laughs> clarification. We're, uh, le- yeah, lengthening that relationship that's not quite so. Um, Oh, yeah. We liked each other at 16. We should get married. Let's definitely get married. This is a good idea. What about you? Any fun fashion ideas? Well, you know, continuing the trend for this season, we have a lot of puffed sleeves, which I am here for. Um, In particular, Mm -hmm. Dawn's first outfit in the episode includes it's, you know, she's wearing jeans, but her top is a white short sleeve puff sleeve sweater that has stripes like multicolored stripes across the chest that extend onto the sleeves, which love. And then at the first Babysitter's Club meeting, Claudia is wearing a printed puff sleeve dress over black tights and a pink turtleneck, long sleeve turtleneck, and she's got kiwi socks, and it's just a perfect outfit. Obviously, it's Claudia. It's maybe a little yeah. busy for me or you to try to pull off, but 
it's what I would aspire to wear were I a 13 year old trying to be fashionable. <laughs> One million percent. Yep. Yeah. So many puff sleeves this season. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I, I hadn't really put that together, but I did really notice um, Dawn's Afghan sleeves. Yes. Whatever was happening there. That was quite a moment. I could not decide if I liked it or not. I kept One going minute, back was, and I, forth too. Yeah. One minute I was like, I really, really dig that. And the next I was like, mm, Granny Chic is not really, uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm very torn. Yeah. I, I mean, Granny Square is not necessarily something I'd usually want to see on a person other than, you know, if they have a rug, not a rug, if they have a blanket over them, perfectly right. acceptable. <laughs> but like, yeah, it just, as that meeting kept going on, I was like, I think I like it. No, I don't like it. Like, I just, I couldn't decide. And I think ultimately I was just sort of, it was a shrug. Like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't, go, I yeah. can't decide. Well, it, it's, I think on that note, that's like a perfect metaphor sum up for how we felt about this episode. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we like it. We don't like it. It's, it's, a, it's just there. It is what it is. The, there are things that we really enjoyed about it, but that didn't quite work. Yes. But like almost <laughs> generally positive, but not a hundred percent. Yeah, I wouldn't be like, no, get it away from me. But I wouldn't be like, oh, I cannot wait to buy that. Yes, agreed. And speaking of, I definitely am not interested in buying that, but it still kind of worked. There was a lot of mustard yellow on Mallory in this episode, like not a color yeah. for me. And I wouldn't think that it would be a color for someone with Mallory's coloring, but strangely worked and i really liked it and it was like a good color for her it made sense that they put her in it multiple times yeah i thought she looked good like i said i thought this was a really good episode for mallory Mm -hmm. especially after she um has been annoying me the last couple (laughs) so i thought that was good i'm still disappointed by the complete lack of jesse yeah I, you know, obviously we didn't get a lot of Stacy or Claudia in this episode. Feels like we haven't gotten a lot of Claudia. So I'm, I'm more and more thinking that the goodbye is coming. Yeah. Probably the finale. <sighs> I think you are probably right. And I am not looking forward to that. No, no. I'm very much looking forward to our next episode, though. But yeah, I am not looking forward to having to actually tackle that when we get there because, whew, we just keep thinking it's going to get better. And, <laughs> It just keeps 20, the revenge of 2020 just keeps on dragging. Yep, definitely. Well, I guess any other final club business before we wrap this up? Well, we always want to remind you where to find us. You can grab us on social media at Generation BSC on both Instagram and Twitter, um, although we are mostly on Instagram. And if you want to reach out in a way that is more than you can fit in a dm you can email us generationbsc at gmail.com we love to hear from you and if you feel very strongly about the granny squares <laughs> outfit on dawn um we will definitely love to hear that opinion as well 100 <laughs> percent. please let us know okay so with that i'm kate vlasic and i'm lauren hunter and this episode of generation bsc is now adjourned say hello to your friends